politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight the issues that matter the way they matter at the time they matter. If I'm the only one who's willing to do that, well, I'm going to be doing that here every day. So help me God, your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today. It is a new month, but same old problems, except it's worse than ever. The GOP is as bad as it's ever been. It's worse than it's ever been. And the consequences of them being subversive is worse than it's ever been. But it doesn't have to be this way. March comes in as a lion. The fake conservative industry comes in like a lamb. But we're going to be a lion today. You know, I was originally planning on doing a special show on currency, some things that we could be doing in state legislatures to free ourselves from the morass of the Federal Reserve. And I badly need a guess because this cold that, you know, I'm pretty much over. It's just, it's done a number on my voice. But I have to close the loop on this week with you guys. Because what has occurred this week is is included in, in this week is everything I've ever said. Everything that is wrong with the fake conservative movement, with our political system. And we will not redress it until we're willing to punch the thing that stands in our way in the face like a lion. You see, when this primary, the presidential primary was over, I said, all right, you know, I wish Trump well. Go actually stay focused, build a ground game, get elected. You do yours, I'll do mine. We're going to focus on the budget fight. We're going to focus on the red state legislatures, and we're going to focus on down-the-ballot primaries. Because, after all, how could you fix an irremediably broken system, an irremediably broken party, as my black-pilled colleagues all claim to believe in, if you don't, you know, actually try to fix it in the specific ways and opportunities, limited opportunities, that you have to affect those outcomes, namely primaries and legislative sessions and mainly focused in areas where you know you have elected officials that might be horrible but the public broadly agrees with us and we could exact or allure the influence and the pressure of the public upon them but in all three of those cases the house budget fight federally the state legislatures and, the, and particularly the down-the-ballot primaries, Trump is getting in our way. And not only is he getting in our way, he is turning out to be a defeat mechanism that McConnell and Paul Ryan could have never been. He is the panic button. He is the refuge for which all of the people who need to be defeated go and take shelter under, and there's nothing we can do about it. So automatically, anyone where there's a budding promise of an auspicious primary, they immediately go to Speaker Johnson. He immediately picks up the phone to Trump. And regardless of the relationship that Trump has ever had with those candidates, God forbid should it be ideological. We know he's a rhino cuck. But usually, oh, okay, he only supports those who support him. No, no, no. Even if there's a conservative challenger who has supported Trump, and there's a rhino who's really never supported him, 
he will back the Rhino every single time, unless somehow, you know, it gets really, really, really personal the other way around. We talk about the GOP establishment in the abstract. We talk about the border in the abstract. We talk about inflation in the abstract. We talk about the weaponization of the government and the FBI. I mean, just today, our very own Steve Baker is in handcuffs for simply reporting embarrassing things about the FBI. We talk about it in the abstract. But when the ball is actually in play in real time to affect the ultimate outcomes on those issue, issues in a vivid, specific way, not only are we absent from the fight, but while our own supposed heroes are scoring touchdowns for the other side, we're cheering them on. That is the state of play in this corrupt, subversive Orwellian industry that has nothing on Animal Farm, nothing on 1984. It is, you could not have written a script like this. So I originally planned on staying away from Trump. And that's why I want to just immerse myself in the aforementioned things. And I think you could say I, I fulfilled my promise. I'm not just a one-trick pony. Boy, have I covered the budget fight from every angle, immigration from every angle, what states could be doing from every angle, the state sessions. I've had a number of down-the-ballot primary challengers on my show for Senate, Governor, and House and state legislature. I've done more on those fronts than every other conservative host or writer or influencer put together. And yet, so I, I was planning on not talking about Trump, but everywhere I turn, he is the problem because we now have a growing industry that is where I was 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, the GOP is the problem. Except those very same people don't realize that Trump embodies and controls the GOP more than any one figure ever did in the history of the party since Lincoln. Yet not only are they, do they not call him out, they're okay with it. Here's the deal. Here's the difference between me. When I came to this realization around the Tea Party era, what did I do? I went straight to the top doesn't help to find some obscure congressman to beat up on. I mean, you want to challenge anyone you can. I took it straight to Mitch McConnell, who, when Obama was president, he was the leader of the party. When Mitt Romney was becoming the big name for the nomination, I took the fight straight to him because that's where you're going to influence the direction. Yet here, how in the world are you ever going to change the party or create an alternative to it? or at least circumvent it in a way where we could focus on some of our issues in certain parts of the country with a handful of maybe Freedom Caucus Republicans, if the man who controls the party is carpet bombing them on issues, and we're going to get that on issues and on primaries, if you refuse to call the guy out eight months before the election and say, cut it out. But it's not news. It's not news. So we're going to go over how yesterday Trump just carpet bombed us in primaries, carpet bombed us in quietly lending support for the Johnson sellout. And we're going to talk about some of the details of the voting patterns of the budget sellout and how the GOP has it perfectly worked out 
to make the people that have challengers vote the right way, and then they rotate it, and they all now have the cover of Metatomp. So you tell me, what am I supposed to do? I'm a loyal soldier. I am more effectively trying to find the ways that it matters to actually fulfill the outcomes that all the MAGA people say they want. But at every turn, I'm stymied because the people who are the poster child for whatever sort of rhetoric, whatever sort of moniker you want to use that MAGA likes to use, rhino, cuck, globalist, WEF, he comes in and endorses them. And he, and he he won't stop. And it's not random. It's not like he randomly wakes up one day. He doesn't know about most of these races. It's that Johnson and Steve Daines in the Senate and Kevin McCarthy they and, and Lindsey Graham, they have an inside track to call him on speed dial and get an air, almost like a special ops on the ground to get an airstrike. Within 15 minutes, anything they want, what am I supposed to do? How are you ever going to change the party if the party leadership knows that at any minute, the minute we gain traction and and start to threaten one of their members with a primary, they will be able to secure an endorsement from Trump and thereby have a 90% chance of winning. How does that not make Trump the most subversive establishment figure of all time? See, what I struggle with is a lot of people, they really do not understand. They really do not understand how it could be that Trump is really not a disruptor, that he really is the ultimate establishment, very much an institutionalist, very much loves stability and the status quo. People can't understand that because they're like, what do, you, what do you mean? He's like the biggest disruptor around, isn't he? Because they they watch his demeanor and his decorum and his rhetoric and his modus operandi. Let me give you an analogy to try to best bring this out. Let's move over to more of a baseball analogy, but you could do this with anything. So, you know, we've been suffering for years where you have a very weak pitcher very predictable pitches he throws. They're kind of slow, often hanging curveballs. And, you know, the other team just keeps hitting singles, doubles, RBIs, and plenty of home runs. And we lose every game 15 to nothing. Maybe sometimes we'll score a little bit here and there when we're on offense, two, three points. But obviously we can't match the fact that they have a normal pitcher and we have a pitcher that is just, you know, you, you could put on a blindfold and hit off of him. So we're like, darn, I mean, what are we going to do? We need a new pitcher. So we get a guy, get a new guy, and he comes in and he's dressed. He doesn't even wear a uniform. Looks so different. Wow, this is a real radical change. Bunch of tattoos on him. Comes there. And even before throwing his first pitch, he starts spitting on the ground. Well, I guess that's not so different because Baseball players do that all the time. But you get my point. He starts defecating, pulls his pants down, starts peeing on the ground, wipes his hands on his pants, starts flatulating, belching, starts yelling at the at the batter, 
putting his, you know, ears in his mouth and, and, and his fingers in his ears and taunting him, making faces at him. Wow, this is this guy's real. I mean, you can't deny Daniel. This guy's really different. He's just changing it up. We, we've actually never seen anything like this. This is the biggest break from the past we've ever seen. I mean, certainly no, no pitcher has ever done this. Takes the ball, puts the ball in his mouth, starts licking the ball, and, uh, you know, starts taunting the stadium. Maybe he starts yelling, we will, we will rock you. Okay, you know, something like that. Okay. And then when he's finally done, gets involved with, you know, getting involved with the crowd and yelling at the umpire and the pitcher, I mean, I mean the batter, putting the ball in his mouth, pulls his pants up. And then he starts winding up and dramatically winds up, takes about 20 seconds to wind up. And then he throws the pitch. And it's even, everyone is even more predictable more conventional and actually somewhat slower of a pitch than even the previous pitchers. I mean, you can't deny that you're telling me this is the same old Daniel. Same as the establishment, same as Mitch McConnell. Actually, no, it's worse, but, (laughs) but no, when it actually matters, the things that matter, electing better people in primaries, focused on legislative fights and picking them and utilizing the the strategic advantage. He is worth, he is more of, we can't have the government shut down. We can't have the debt ceiling. We can't risk the stock market being upset. We can't risk Wall Street being upset. The corporations don't want this. Bud Light's upset. Endorses every damn rhino, but he, he has more clout than any other Republican ever did with the base to get our people to stand down. Last night, out of nowhere, Trump reaffirms his endorsement for Roger Wicker while Roger Wicker is not only voting for the budget sellout, but he voted, there was an amendment, we'll talk about this, a Cruz amendment, he voted against H.R. 2, the House border bill, and endorses him against the Freedom Caucus challenger. And it's not even like Roger Wicker is, you know, like an Elise Stefanik that is really horrid for him, really, you know, has the, I mean, nothing. Okay, there's nobody in MAGA will like Roger Wicker. He is, if I had to draw a caricature of a globalist WEF military industrial complex, that's his big thing, a cuck, take eight years worth of MAGA about what the Republican Party is. Roger Wicker would be that exaggerated, cartoonish figure of what you're trying to depict, except it's not exaggerated. That's what he is. In other words, Roger Wicker makes Mitch McConnell look MAGA. Okay? There, there is no reason to endorse. There's no reason to get involved. You should definitely be endorsing the challenger, but at a minimum, you stay out of it. But he comes in and he endorses him. Where is this on his nerdy platform there? Senator Roger Wicker is a fantastic senator from the great state of Mississippi. As a ranking member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Roger is working hard to strengthen our military. This is what is it? He's a Ukraine guy. 
He's Ukraine. He's military industrial complex. He's the guy that we can't fight on a budget bill because the military needs endless woke money. He is the lead guy who opposed Tuberville's stand against the wokeness in the military. I, I, I don't know what to say. And there is not a word of rebuke. Charlie Kirk, even a couple weeks ago when he voted for the last sellout, said, you know, the Ukraine bill. Charlie's like, this guy's in cycle. Yes, he's in cycle. And your man, your man, Charlie, is supporting him over a Freedom Caucus guy. Do you not have the same phone number that Lindsey Graham, Steve Daines, Kevin McCarthy, and Mike Johnson have. And if you don't, there's something really wrong there. That means, and this is the problem. Like I said yesterday with the Muslims in Dearborn, Michigan, moving Biden even further to the left in a primary. If you are going to shut down a primary from DeSantis, that you won't even make Trump sweat a little bit, move him to the right on issues and personnel, get some commitments that you're going to pick a better guy for VP, make better endorsements, be more focused, build a ground game, fight on budget bills. Then you know what? I'm going to do that now. We still have eight months left till the general election, seven months till early voting. There's plenty of time. Now is the time to cut this garbage out. And then there was the heartbreaker of all. You know, one of the candidates I'm supporting is Adam Morgan, the chairman of the South Carolina Freedom Caucus, is everything you would want as MAGA, leading the fight against the South Carolina establishment. So he's running, this is upstate, he's running in District 4 against incumbent William Timmons. Now, even I'm kind of surprised. Even I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I'm not, but I'm saying a little facetiously. William Timmons is a nobody. Okay, he is the weak. So I'm not defending this, but sometimes you'll have a very strong establishment guy that maybe you had a long-standing relationship with him. He's very well-known. So, okay, as leader of the party, you're going to endorse him. This is an obscure House member. He's extremely weak. He got 52% in his last primary, by the way, which is why he's so vulnerable and why Adam you know, rightfully decided he was right for Pickens. He just, his personal scandal, just cheated on his wife. Although maybe, I guess maybe that is, maybe that's why I endorsed him. Maybe that's a resume enhancer with Trump now. And, and, and yet, and, 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 you know, again, most, most challengers we have are pretty weak. We know it's all about winning. This is, before Trump came in, it's at least 50-50, which is a rarity with a challenger. It's very hard to knock off an incumbent. You have a very strong, well-known conservative challenging this guy. He's weak. He's got personal issues. He's not well-liked by anyone in particular. doesn't have strong backing really by anyone. And needlessly, Trump comes in and endorses Timmons last night. 
and it and this is part of a pattern. It's not in a vacuum. Mike Johnson is as thick as thieves with him. And 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 by the way, this is why I could say with confidence that Trump supports the budget sellout. He won't even say defund Jack Smith's office. It's all good. And this is the problem, even where Trump doesn't overtly do it, because he is the leader of the party and nothing is done without his support. So by him elevating people like Mike Johnson, it inoculates them from any ability to pressure them. Because as long as Trump's like, hey, I got your back, maybe Trump won't overtly, he'll be a little bit too bashful to go out in front of his base and endorse the bill. But he he he's like it's like a father who's um teaching his son how to swim and has teaching him the back float has his hand under him in the water. That's what he's doing. So we have no way of fighting this. It is unreal. And now Timmins is going around, and they have this whole campaign that Morgan is the real rhino. He's the never Trumper. And, and I'm the conservative. When you have a party that's willing to be that subversive, I don't know how you win. But then when you have Trump, we needed Trump to go and endorse our guys to even the score. When you have the establishment, and again, Trump is the establishment, but you have the old guard establishment and the new establishment, the one who throws the 40 mile an hour low, low hanging curveballs to the left, uh, you know, with defecating, the one who does it without defecating, that's the only difference. One just makes us more unelectable in a general election. Nothing more than that. But it's unbeatable in a primary. It's unbelievable. How are we ever to aspire to do all the things that every one of those talk show hosts say they want if Trump is now a defeat mechanism because Trump doesn't know Timmons. It's so random. He's starting to get involved in these random things. It's not like there's a Lindsey Graham relationship there. He never heard of the guy. I don't think Timmons was even in Congress most of the time when when Trump was there, at least for most of it. But this is what it is. And I was like, if he's going to get involved then, I I don't know what I don't know what to say. And again, there's no excuses because there, you could make an excuse in each race, but you put it all together. There's another one in Iowa, this Finstra guy. Rhino, he has a challenger. Trump Trump endorsed the Rhino. Kevin McCarthy's open seat. He endorsed the Rhino. I'm, I'm missing a lot of them. It's non-stop. It's every single incumbent. And a lot of people are confused because in the past, we had a little bit of benefit from him because when Trump just came on the scene in 2016, so a lot of these guys opposed him. So there was a paper trail of them saying not nice things about him. So sometimes he was able to endorse against them where his and uh, you know his purview, his priorities, which is just personal, aligned with our ideological objectives. But now seven years later, all these guys got smart, and they just they just kiss. So Timmons has just been running around the state. Literally licking his rear end like Tim Scott is doing. And gets his endorsement. And by the way, it's worse than that. A lot of people are like, oh, it's all personal. But it's not true. It's one directional personal. Because there are a lot of rhinos that did originally say 
bad things about him. But once they survive that, now he endorses them. Meaning, there's a lot of cases where you had right-wingers kiss up to him. I'm not just talking about people later on. I'm talking about there were people that supported him from day one in 2015 against Ted Cruz. And then when they ran for higher office, Trump carpet-bombed them. The loyalty is only a one-way direction. It's only in the direction of the establishment. Every single rhino who kisses up to him, he he supports. Not the other way around. The kiss up is not enough because Trump is even worse than what some people say. Oh, he's just transactional. He's it's personal. No, that's true. But he's also a huge stability institutionalist guy. He does not like to see. This is what his supporters don't understand. He is the polar opposite of what they project upon him. He is not red-pilled. He does not want to upend the system. He doesn't like to see incumbents be turned out unless it's very, very, very personal. Like the Liz Cheney situation. He doesn't like but to see that. And again, you're going to have, increasingly, you're going to have none of those people left because they're smart. They just, they behind his back, they'll say things, but publicly, they'll kiss up to him. Tim Scott defeated two of Trump's best judicial nominees when he was president. Doesn't get held accountable for that. But Bob Good gets a primary challenger. Matt Rosendale gets forced out of the race. This is a nightmare. You're speaking to someone who fought McConnell when it actually mattered, who fought the establishment long before MAGA movement came came about. And it was bad then. And we all put our hopes. I mean, I didn't. I knew better. But, you know, in, in this guy that he would rectify it, he resuscitated it. He is the CPR mouth-to-mouth resuscitation of the establishment. It, it, it's part of a pattern now where he just wants stability. No budget fights, no government shutdown. No anything, it's all good. I want to read to you here from Politico. Mike Johnson's plan for getting the House in line, deploy Trump. I want you to think about that. So not only is Trump not giving tailwinds to our guys to fight the establishment, he is the lifeline to Mike Johnson to keep our guys in line. And yet, not a single person in this movement other than myself will even gently call this out. Eight months before the election, by the way. So if you can't do it now, you can never do it. I, it, is, it is indefensible. Commensurate with how much they yelp about the border and the budget sellouts and the weaponization. Oh, the rhinos, the rhinos. And then this guy in every single person. And by the way, commensurate with how credible our challengers are is how frantically Mike Johnson will successfully, will co- frantically will call him up and successfully secure his endorsement. During a February meeting with the former president of Mar-a-Lago, Johnson and his House GOP campaign chief 
briefed Trump on several upcoming primary races, making the case that certain extreme candidates could blow the party's chances in battleground districts with primaries this month. Now, by the way, um, a lot of most of the races we're talking about aren't. I mean, they're going to talk about a different one, but most of them are not even battleground. They're extreme. They're they're deep red. But what's interesting is Trump uses. He, he's so hypocritical. He buys into the, ah, we're going to have a government shutdown. You need a more moderate candidate to win. He, the same crap we've been dealing with for all these years, except ironically, he's the one who's unelectable. His pathetic loser faggot candidates are the ones that can't win. And then he projects it on our guys. So, for example, he endorsed Mehmet Oz, who's a leftist Democrat and unelectable at the same time against a much more electable, more conservative candidate, and then somehow buys into the establishment line that all of our guys are unelectable. But what? Again, the lowest common denominator of the electoral viability, the image, and conservative achievements and objectives of both the old guard and the Trump guard. Johnson's request included seeking the president's help neutralizing, neutralizing the controversial J.R. Majerski, who has roiled the GOP primary for a must-win Ohio seed. They also inquired if Trump could endorse other candidates, including Representative Mike Bost from Illinois, who's a rhino. Updated him on their preferences in California and North Carolina. Now, California... Remember, McCarthy's seat is like an R plus 14 district. So that's that that's not a swing seat. Trump was generally receptive to their requests, according to three people familiar with the meeting who are granted anonymity to speak candidly about it, given Majewski's strong Magalene and representing Matt Gates support. See, Matt Gates is such a fork-tongue guy. He claims to be for all of our things and and, and even supports them, the challengers, and then he like not only supports Trump, but lambasts anyone who questions it. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I've never seen a movement like this. It's just so bizarre. Johnson's ability to both effectively manage the House and stay on as Speaker is heavily linked to whether he can expand the GOP's paltry majority. While the two talk regularly, Johnson will also have to be careful to avoid alienating the ex-president whose off-the-cuff style could limit the speaker's room to maneuver. Johnson and Hudson, chair of the NRCC, made a particularly strong case against Majewski. But, but the problem is that's a straw man case. There's so many others that are much more compelling that they, they don't talk about. So this is where we are. This is where we are. So what's the point? So you have all these, what, what's starting to happen is it's a weird thing. You have all these candidates that go on, some of the same ones that I have on, they go on Bannon War Room. And Bannon not only supports Trump, won't move him to the right, lambasts anyone who supported DeSantis, and then yet when he carpet bombs those very candidates, he has nothing to say. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this. And by the way, notice how Tucker Carlson, he has all these queer, weird, like, Oprah, everyone has a story type of shows. He hasn't covered any of this. Any major budget fight when we could kind of use his voice? 
This is the weird thing about, about that whole movement. It's like they all talk about things in the abstract while all of their players, including their Messiah himself, when it actually matters on the playing field to achieve and affect those very objectives, they undermine us. They have nothing to say. And this is the thing. When you understand how everything the Johnson does is with a phone call with Trump, you understand that Trump not weighing in on the budget fight is strategic. See, like I said yesterday, after reading this political article, and again, you don't need to trust political. You're seeing it out in the open. He's endorsing them. A lot of people are like, we need a motion to vacate. We need a motion to vacate. But, and, and I agree. I, I would do it anyway. But let me walk you through that. So someone has a motion to vacate. You know, it, it can't be someone like Chip because he's overtly, you know, in, in the crosshairs of Trump. But let's say someone in better standing with Trump. Okay, so, someone with, uh, you know, may, maybe an Andy Biggs. Okay, Andy Biggs goes, does motion to vacate. Um, fine, okay. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Trump will crush that person. I mean, I mean, this is a golden parachute. This is a city of refuge. It's kind of like, you know, the city of refuge in Deuteronomy and Joshua that they had in, in ancient Israel <clears throat> for those who killed by accident. You run to the city. That's what it is. Trump is their city of refuge. You just run to him and there's nothing we could do. So let's just close out the week talking about the budget bill and what, what happened last night. Yesterday, we started off the week with a 90-10 issue, Lakin Riley's murder. You'll never get a better chance. And by the way, so much so, some of you might have seen this yesterday, John Fetterman, who's a Democrat, literally said that he would almost be open to a CR with HR2. He, he just said he would take out the DACA, the enforcement against DACA. But everything else, like the defunding the NGOs, banning catch and release, banning parole, you know, um, you, have to, you have to deport everyone at the border, he, he would agree to. You have a Democrat saying that. And yet Republicans wouldn't even try to hold the line on that. While, by the way, they have the leverage of the automatic $76 billion in cuts to leverage against them. That if they simply did a clean CR, you'd get that for free. So you had the House vote last night. 90, uh, where is this? 97 Republicans voted no and 113 voted yes. They always notice how they always make sure to get a majority, because it's it's fudgeable. I mean, they could they could, they could always they have enough guys. I, I would ninety seven is bad because that means we would have less than half in the more conservative body after seven years of MAGA to vote against something this appalling. But it's actually worse than that because you and I both know it's really not more than sixty, and that's why you have what's funny is 
it's it's like clockwork. I I actually looked at it. Timmins and Fistra, all these guys used to vote for all the budget bills, but everyone who is who has a primary challenger, they stop voting for it. They get a hall pass. That's how subversive it is. And then they win, go back to doing the same thing. And that's how they always have enough. Because remember, if you're a controlled opposition, so you have 100% of Democrats, you don't need that many Republicans. In the Senate, you only need a few. Now, in the House, they try to adhere to the rule of majority to majority, so you need a little bit more, but you can always get it. But I want you to understand something this earth-shattering. We really only have maybe a third to a quarter of the more conservative branch. You go to the Senate, it passed, final passage was 77-13. Now, because it was a done deal, a lot of guys just hightailed out. Like, I know Rand Paul wasn't there. Ten Republicans were absent. Some of them were rhinos. Some of them were conservatives or somewhat conservative. So it would have been more than 13 no's. Maybe it would have been 18 no's. But back to what we said yesterday, all these people trying to game out a, um, you know, let's say Republicans for next Congress get 51 seats, just basing on probably winning Ohio and West Virginia. So you're going to need, what, 26 to win as majority leader. They don't have 26 votes. You know that. And even that 18 or so, it's full of a lot of useless people that, you know, they just don't need our vote, so they'll, they'll vote. Yeah, yeah, T- Tim Scott would do that all the time. Tim Scott usually votes against the, these budget bills, but, I mean, he's, he's awful. It's kind of like dead weight. They know that there's enough that are willing to overtly do it so they'll just, you know, vote no, hope yes type of thing. But there, there were two amendments. I want you to understand just how bad this party is. Uh, addressing kind of both parts of the strategy, both HR2 and the automatic cuts. So Mike Lee had an amendment for a full year CR that would have across the board automatic 1% cuts. It failed at 77-13, the same, same vote. Same vote. So people like Kramer, people like Kramer from North Dakota, people like Wicker couldn't even would vote against that. And yet still, still, Trump is endorsing them in cycle, this cycle. I want you to understand how unbelievable that is. And I'm just, I'm just looking up the vote tally now. The Lee, it was the Lee Amendment. It was actually 12, 12 yes votes, 77 no's. And there we go. There we go. It's unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. By the way, Barrasso made made sure he he wasn't in town. So Barrasso is the other guy in cycle who has a primary challenger, and Trump supports him. I mean, I don't, I don't think he has a good challenger, but Trump Trump endorsed Barrasso, and he's the one one of the ones who's hoping to get Trump's support for majority leader. So he made sure strategically not to be there. So he didn't have to take these votes. And then the final vote was even HR2. Just simply voting for HR2, the House immigration bill. 
still we um we only got 32 votes for it and Roger Wicker voted against it Roger Wicker and and by the way the other Mississippi senator Cindy Hyde Smith who was a lifelong democrat appointed to the seat when she originally ran so she wasn't even a full incumbent and he had Chris McDaniel who was maga before maga ran against her I believe I'm, I'm forgetting. I believe that was 2018. I wrote about it at the time. I had Chris on, and Trump supported Cindy Hyde Smith. What, what, what do you want me to say? I can't, I can't ignore this anymore. Because, you know, let's get to the third rail. We talked about primaries. We talked about the the budget fight. But, you know. There's the third part, which is the states. Trump is affecting us there even without directly making a call. Because like I told you, people like Greg Abbott, like Christy Nome, people like Henry McMaster, they're screwing us on legislation. And yet, there's no pressure on them to veto these bad bills we talk about. Because they're in good standing with Trump. In other words, Trump is smothering our ability to even do anything. Because in order to expose these people, you have to have a credible threat of a primary challenge, dragging their name in the mud for crossing us on issues. We can't do it. Because they have Trump's umbrella of protection. In other words, you can't be the greatest name in the Republican Party since Abraham Lincoln, which he is. He is is the most control over the party since Abraham Lincoln. And yet not take responsibility. Oh, Republican thuck. Why no thuck? Mike Johnson, sell us out. Terrible. Ukraine. And then this guy carpet bombs the reinforcements we try to send policy-wise, legislative fights, budget fights, states, primaries to supposedly help what he wants to do. Now, obviously, he doesn't want to do that. Trump is a stability guy. He is an institutionalist. This is what people don't understand. Yes, it's personal, which is bad enough because we don't have time for someone's personal crap when we're fighting, what my guys say is fighting for our lives. Oh, we averted a shutdown, says Mike Johnson. No, you didn't. My colleague Steve Baker is in handcuffs for, for literally, you, you know, Mike Johnson will wax poetic about Putin locking up criminals. How is what they're doing to Steve Baker any different? He literally didn't do anything. He was filming as a reporter January 6th. He didn't break anything, didn't storm anything, didn't do anything. Well, he entered the Capitol. Yeah, but I mean, they let him in and he was a reporter. And then also, why didn't you, why did you wait four years or three years to arrest him? The answer is because he exposed embarrassing things about the FBI and his reporting. That is literally Putin. And yet, they just funded that. By the way, Elise Stefanik, big hero on January 6th, just voted to fund this.
I, I, I just, I, I don't, I have never seen a more self-defeating movement than the MAGA movement. Actively work against their own stated cause. And, and, and here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where the rubber meets the road. This is not going away. All right, so this year is sunk. One of the things I've learned is that you have to lay down the marker early and start creating bold contrast in the eyes of primary voters. You can't do it too late. You have to start building it early. So I'm working on 2026. Probably the most promising potential we have is the State Freedom Caucus Network, not just in the fact that they're <clears throat> making inroads in legislatures, but building a bench to run for governor in red states. Okay? So, you look at South Carolina, okay? Obviously, in 2026, you think, well, we have a very robust Freedom Caucus. So what are we going to want to do? We're going to want to run one guy for governor. And we're going to want to run one guy for Senate against Lindsey Graham, who's up for re-election. Okay, I mean, isn't, shouldn't that be a simple goal that we all in MAGA would agree that you want to get Lindsey Graham out in a red state and you want to do better for governor? It's going to be an open seat with jerk-off McMaster um, termed out. Now, I'm not going to say whom I'm, talk I'm referring to. He's not a sitting Freedom Caucus member because he's technically not elected, but he has inspired it and has bankrolled a lot of them. He has a lot of money. There is a very good candidate for governor that potentially will run. And then you have... You know, for Senate, for Lindsey Graham, it's hard to tell exactly, but Ralph Norman, who is kind of like a Chip Roy type of Freedom Caucus guy, is um, potentially going to run against Lindsey Graham. Might be someone else, might be others, but but it, it, the, the stage is set. Meaning, rarely do we have candidates of stature, money, that could run. We actually have it in South Carolina. But here's what's going to happen. Lindsey Graham is obviously going to run for re-election. Lindsey Graham, if, if we don't lay the marker down right now, you can't wait until it's too late. You have to tell Trump, get the hell off our lawn. Get off our lawn. You will not endorse Lindsey. And then for governor, it's not a secret in South Carolina that Tim Scott, why is he kissing up and raising his profile? Because Tim Scott wants to run for governor. Now. A simple extrapolation. If Lindsey and Scott and McMaster and that whole dirtbag cabal have enough clout with Trump to get him to endorse some unpopular, beleaguered, obscure congressman, William Timmons, in, in, a, in a district, how much more so, if we don't lay the marker down, will he swoop in and endorse and carpet bomb us in the future? And this will continue going on. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, Daniel, we need to throw these guys. Everyone who does this need to be primaried. Not that these guys will lift a finger to work on that, but people like me will. So, okay, we, we, we get it going. Don't you freaking have an obligation 
to start writing articles and tweeting directly at Trump. It, it okay, I'm 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 giving you the benefit of the doubt that clearly you don't have the clout inside with a private call that you claim to have. Okay. But what would happen if take that top 20 on iTunes and Twitter would all write a column, a message, simply the following. We cannot continue going on with the same sorts of, you know, Ukraine type of GOPers like Tim Scott, politically correct, you know, Lindsey Graham. We have a robust Freedom Caucus in South Carolina. We're going to definitely have good quality candidates for governor and Senate. Trump, really, you should be endorsing the good guys, but at a minimum, stay the hell out and you better not endorse Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott. If you are MAGA, if you are Charlie Kirk, call me. Do you agree or disagree with me on that point? I would imagine you agree with me. So why is that not happening? You can't influence Mitch McConnell. He doesn't listen to you. You can't influence Joe Biden or Hunter Biden. This is your sphere of influence. Remember, Christy Nome's staffers, lobbyists, and donors are working with the WEF Agenda 23 agenda to steal South Dakotan farmers' lands for a green energy pipeline, all within our sphere of influence and our ability to redress. There's no Democrats. There's no media. It's all of, by, and for Republicans that are within good standing of Trump and conservative talk radio. And you could single-handedly get her to veto that bill, SB 201. You won't do it. This is the fraud of the conservative and MAGA Inc. And and pardon me for repeating myself. Same thing. Old establishment, new establishment, same thing. Same MO, same thing. Again, back then it was the same thing too. In the abstract, they would complain about weak Republicans, but nobody would touch McConnell because he was the one who actually mattered. But that's where the center of power was I know it's hard to imagine. I know some of you who are new to politics and don't know where the bathroom is and think you know everything. But 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 actually, McConnell was like Trump in in terms of the control over the apparatus, and people were scared to go after him. I was the only one, except there's one difference. Trump has the clout, not just institutionally in the party, but the love of the very sorts of base grassroots voters and organizations that we would need to defeat people like McConnell and his next generation of lieutenants. And yet now, they have Trump support. You tell me how I'm supposed to go on and work on any project to achieve any result that MAGA claims to support and pine for if this is going to continue going on. But I guess this is all a show. You know, Trump went to the border. Went to the border for a photo op. But would not lend his robust support. And believe me, when he wants to mouth off, he does, as we could well see. When he wants to put out a tweet or whatever that nerdy website that's falling apart platform that he's on, social, true social, when he wants to endorse a rhino, suddenly he has a, you know, God opens the mouth of the donkey. But when it comes to, hey, Mike Johnson, this is not okay. You don't have to be doing this. You get automatic 76 billion in cuts. 
And if he's not doing that now, he will not do that as president. And if my colleagues are too scared to hold him accountable now, they will not pressure him as president because we have seven years of proof of that. See, I want to make it very clear what Trump's endorsements and policy choices and Bud Light and all the things he's been doing since securing the nomination to move to the left, as I promised you he would do, because why not? There's no one holding him accountable to the right, so he has only one direction to go. If he does that now, where that it's emblematic of, of, of his M.O. He's worse than he's ever been. Do you think he's going to govern in a way that's going to create instability to the system? No. You, you, know, you know what's so laughable? One of the big things that our movement is into, you know, being black-pilled, everything is a CIA, is obviously the Jeffrey Epstein story. And, and they were very into that story. Then two things happened. Tucker had an interview with Trump and brought up Jeffrey Epstein, and Trump literally says that he thinks Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. And Tucker's okay with that. And then this week, Ron DeSantis signs a bill to release the grand jury proceedings and all information on Jeffrey Epstein so we find out what's happening. And suddenly, they're not interested in the story anymore. You tell me how we can go on with a movement where fealty to one man trumps every last thing they say they believe in, even when he literally negates it, takes the other side of it, utterly demolishes any momentum we create behind an initiative, whether it's the Bud Light boycott, whether it's a budget fight, whether it's a debt ceiling fight, whether it's a primary, that these guys know that they could just make a call to him. And by the way, what did I tell you yesterday that Trump would endorse Steve Daines? Came out literally a few hours after I said that. Trump made the call to Steve Daines and told him to run. Steve Daines himself is not so sure he wants to run. But now you know that's who Trump... Steve Daines is the new Mitch McConnell. Butter up the base, put on the MAGA hat, say a couple of things you like to hear, and do the same things that... The, the same pitches, the same 40-mile-an-hour low-hanging curveballs that any hitter could hit with a blindfold, except somehow the uncouth behavior and the five wives and porn at a time when we're kind of trying to fight porn and then tell suburban voters we stand you know, for parental rights against kids getting exposed to porn, but then our leader is kind of a porn guy. Yeah, that type of thing just makes us more unelectable. That is the raw truth that my colleagues don't want to hear. But my my problem is, see, I, I was hoping to just avoid this and go on to my issues. And, you know, this show is not going to make me popular. I would have been a lot more popular going with my guest I was going to have, doing a show on how to realistically make gold a currency in red states and upend the entire economic control that the feds have on us, and the inflation and everything. And we're going to do that hopefully next week. But I'm just going to tell you, 
the only way we're going to get things like that passed is to get a critical mass of governors who are willing to do that. And I'm just here to tell you that unless Trump's stranglehold on the party is crushed, his stranglehold on the movement is crushed, or at least more modestly, unless my colleagues are willing to butt heads with him. So meaning you could still support him, vote for him, whatever you want. But the minute he comes out with a rhino endorsement, they need to bash it and they need to say, we're supporting Adam Morgan. We're supporting against Roger Wicker. But they don't do it. What a bunch of jokes. We need primary talent. And then when we get them, they don't support them. And they allow Trump to support the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. Folks, that's just the way it is. By the way, I got an interview request. You have these like PR agencies that send out to all the talk show hosts for Lara Trump to come on the shows. Lara Trump on securing our nation's most valuable virtues. Yes, Lara Trump. Very, you know, the Trump degenerates at Mar-a-Lago with the two men kissing at a gay wedding. Yeah, they're going to secure our virtues. Maybe Kimberler, Kimberly Kerfoyle, the daughter-in-law, dressed half naked. Um, yeah, th- these are the virtues we need to teach our daughters. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really going to work. By the way, has it ever crossed your mind that maybe when you're dealing with the Super Bowl of social value fights and pro-life, maybe you don't want to have a guy that is antithetical to that, that swing voters will see right through you as frauds, as the, as the lead image and leader of your movement? I want you email me at danielharowitz at startmail.com. I don't want to talk about him anymore. But I want to know from you how you want me to fight. Let's say if you're a Trump guy, a MAGA guy. So I can't be more pro-Trump. And I say that with air quotes, meaning your perception of him, which is inaccurate, than, than he himself is. So you tell me, how do you want me to use my talents my knowledge, my whatever influence I have, my coverage of bills and issues and primaries, how do you want me to achieve the goals you say you want with A, Trump doing what he's doing, but more importantly, the people you support giving him a pass and not trying to, because commensurate with how much Trump is going to put his thumb on the scale on behalf of the establishment, that's how much the Trump supporters and movement have an obligation to go in the other direction. So for all of you like, well, Daniel, what do you want me to do? It's binary. It's either binary or Trump. No, there's a third option. You could vote for him on the presidential beta, be, uh, ballot, but you don't have to cover for him when he nukes our outcomes. And folks, that's just the way it is. Till tomorrow, well, really, till Monday. Hope you guys have a family-oriented weekend with your one and only wife and kids. Yes, we still believe in that. God bless you all. Micah 6-8, and see you on the other side. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. 